Thank you, Jay. Would you turn to Psalm 18? I want to welcome all the new visitors. We're happy you're here to worship with us today. If you're taking notes, the name of the message today is Psalm 18. Love your compassionate and terrifying God. Whoa. Love your compassionate and terrifying God. It's always encouraging when the worship leaders and the people praying talk about what the Holy Spirit has stirring inside of us, even though I didn't know what Kevin was going to share. Kevin shared from Hebrews 4, he said, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but he has been tempted in any, every way just as us. Therefore, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. We also sang songs about a good and gracious king. Do you understand at the time of David, the king had your very life in his hands, that the king has power to give life or to take life? And so today, as we look at Psalm 18, we have to understand God's character. Some of us have the wrong picture of who God is. Some of us have had human fathers that were either absent or unapproachable, maybe even abusive. I had a roommate who, who would only see his father maybe once a year, once every two years. He was from England, and he was sent to boarding school to the best schools. And when he saw his father the two times a year, he always felt like he never lived up to the task. Some of us have fathers like that. The only time you see the father, the father is austere and unapproachable. And he says, you know, you got a 98 in the test. Why didn't you get a 100? Always picking. You know, why can't you be more like this? You don't have to raise hands, but some of us know what I'm talking about. Some of us might have had a cool dad. The dad that would, maybe not us, but I mean, we have cool dads, but you know that that dad that will buy beer for the underage children. You know what I'm talking about? The cool dad. Hey, call me by my first name. Very permissive father. Well, I'd rather them get drunk under my roof so I can watch them. Some of us view Jesus like that. That we live like hellions. I mean, I just got started. I said the word hellion. What's going on? We live wild and we think that God somehow endorses that. Both images of God is wrong. And so what God wants us to see today is he wants us to understand his character. The two sides to the coin. On one hand, especially for those of us who view God as very permissible, we need to understand that God is a terrifyingly awesome, all-powerful, all-knowing, Holy and just God. Did you get that? Did you write it down? Jessica, it's on the test. God is a terrifyingly awesome, all-knowing, all-powerful, holy God that's going to judge the living and the dead based on every thought, word, and deed that comes from you. 
the other side of the coin is this. God is kind, merciful, approachable, willing to bleed for you. God is merciful, kind, approachable, willing to bleed for you. These are the two sides of his character that we have to understand. If you view him as that austere father that is unapproachable, you don't understand God. I have some Muslim friends that view God as creator, holy, but he would have nothing to do with this dirty world. Whereas our Savior, Jesus Christ, came into this world to deliver us and went into the mire and bled on a cross naked for you. A holy God did that for you. And some of us look at Jesus as your homeboy. Now, I love the t-shirts. Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is approachable. But remember, the same, and there's some Christians, so-called Christians, that say, I'm only going to read the New Testament. Because that Old Testament God is always cranky and smoking folks. But Norm talked in the tithe message, the Holy Spirit is the one who took the lives of Ananias and Sapphira. And so some of us are very uncomfortable with the idea of holiness and justice. But remember, Jesus is the one who said, I and the Father are one. Jesus is the one who called people, you snakes and scorpions, right? Jesus is the one in Revelation 19 who's coming back sword in mouth to judge the living and the dead. We have to have that image of God rightly in our minds. So what I want to say today is this. We've been in this series of Psalms for all seasons. In our first week, we said, what do we do? How do we approach God in a season where we've been doing good, but bad things happen? We looked at Psalm 34, and we learned that in all circumstances, we magnify God, and that we also must fear him and testify of his goodness. Last week, we looked at Psalm 51, and we said, what do we do in a season where bad things are happening because we've been bad? We looked at David's sin with Bathsheba and we learned that in a situation like that, only God can break us out of our sin cycle when we beg for mercy and truly repent. And so today, in the conclusion of part three, we approach God in a season when things are going good. And I hope they're going good for you. But we also recognize when things are going well, we often forget who our God is. Right? We, off, we often stray. Our hearts are prone to stray. In 1 Kings 11, you don't have to turn there. Solomon, when things were going good, he was making money. David's son, he had so many wives, so many architectural accomplishments, artistic accomplishments, that he forgot who God was. In Deuteronomy, it says to keep your soul diligently so you don't forget the things of God. Even in the New Testament, in 2 Timothy, it says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. <laughs> why would a New Testament author say, remember Jesus Christ? Do you know why? Because when things are going good, we forget who God is. So today, when we look 
at David's life. We're going to look at a, at a psalm that he wrote when he finally was free from Saul. Saul had died and his enemies were conquered. And finally, David, who's been living in caves suffering, is finally in a victorious place. And this is the psalm that he penned. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Don't worry, we're only doing the first 19 verses, okay? Psalm 18. Did I say 18? I hope so. Psalm 18, verses 1 through 19. To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, Verse 1, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Verse 3, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. Verse 6. In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Verse 8. Smoke went up from his nostrils, and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals Flamed forth from him. He bowed to the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds dark with water. Verse 12. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice hailstones and coals of fire, and he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. Verse 16. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out of, out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. Help us today, God, to see you for who you are. Help us to love you personally. Not just love the idea of you, not just learn about you, but to have an intimate relationship with you. To know you personally as our deliverer. As we step out onto the battlefield to expand your kingdom, as Jay prayed, I pray we would know you as our personal deliverer. And I pray, God, that we would understand how magnificent you are. Help us to see you correctly. Please guide my mouth as I teach. Help us to walk away with the understanding of your word and who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So again, the title of the message is Psalm 18, Loving Our Compassionate and Terrifying God. The word terrifying is a kind of a stumbling title. But the word terror means awesome, to cause fright and fear. And like I said last week, or a couple weeks ago, I spend a lot of time in the summers out on the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean. And if you just imagine yourself on a little vessel in the middle of the ocean, you can't see land, and you see the sky and the sea, and it starts to get very choppy, very quickly you feel small, don't you? And when you look down into the depths and you know that this is hundreds of feet deep, how do you feel? You feel a little bit of terror. You're in awe, but you feel some terror. The deepest part of the ocean is miles deep, the Marion Trench. So just imagine yourself on a little vessel surrounded by ocean. Or if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, I remember the first time I went, Jen and I went on the Chinese tour bus, and they gave us about 20 minutes before we went to Vegas. Like, get off, take pictures, take it off. Okay, run off. And I remember coming up to the edge. Not the edge, okay, you selfie pick people. You know, the safe edge. And it literally took my breath away. There's been nowhere else on the planet where I've been, and you just see the magnificence of God's creation. When you're in the presence of that kind of artwork, you're in awe of the artist. So when I say terrifying, that's the terror I mean. The King James Version refers to God as terrible because the word awesome has lost its meaning in the culture. Deuteronomy says, The Lord your God, God of gods, Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and terrible. Nehemiah says, I beseech thee, O Lord of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy. In Job, it says, fair weather comes from the north with God is terrible majesty. And the psalm writer says, for the Lord most high is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. Psalm 99 says, let's praise thy great and terrible name for it is holy. So again, terrible is just speaking to his awesome power and his holiness. In Psalm 18, so when you understand God like that, to think a God who created the heavens and the earth would actually go out of his way for you, that's pretty potent. When we read Psalm 18, David, you can tell, has an intimate relationship with this God. And so that's where I want to start. You can see in the, in the prelude, which is in the original Hebrew, that this is written at a time when David is finally ascended to the kingdom. Now, for some of us, when we're in a deep season of trial, as soon as we're out, okay, God, we're done. <laughs> we don't say it like that. But for a lot of us here, God allows some affliction. I'm not saying in, in all situations, but God allows suffering and affliction to keep us close. Because a lot of us, once things are fine, the circumstances, we ditch God, we forget God. Maybe your Christian life is characterized like that. When things are bad, I'm close to God. I cry out to him. When things are good, I forget him. But here you see in Psalm 18, David, things are going good, yet he remembers and extols God. Look at verse 1. So this first section, verses 1 through 6, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that for, for, for David, 
loving God was very personal to him. Verses 1 through 6, main point 1. That's for you, Matt. Verses 1 through 6 is loving God was very personal to David. My question for you is, is loving God personal to you? Look at verse 1. I love you, O Lord, my strength. First, first line, I love you. Now, for some of us, because of our cultural backgrounds, like I, I spent time in Japan. I have a sensei. He calls me Kohai. He's my senpai. We love each other deeply. Kusunoki sensei. He's like a mentor of mine. We love each other, but we don't say the words. We seldom say the words. Except when he moved back to Japan, he let it slip. He says, I love you, Kohai. I love you, Kohai. It's like, what? There's another Japanese guy I know. I won't mention his name, who had some health problems recently. And I noticed in an elders meeting, he told us he, he loved us. Thank you. Why? Because it's good to say the words sometimes. Not to say it cheap, like I love ice cream and I love my wife. But sometimes we want to say the words. Because, like, I've lost both of, actually, I've lost all of my grandparents at this point. And I remember in my college days, I was so busy with my life, I didn't communicate to my grandmothers how much they meant to me. And one of my regrets today is not communicating how much the people that I love mean to me. So I would say, say the words. And for God, shouldn't it be the same? Look at David. I love you, O Lord. When's the last time you told God you love him? You really love him. And this word love is deeply, to love deeply and to be compassionate, have tender affection. This can only come if you have an intimate relationship with God. I love you, O Lord. That word, O Lord, is Yahweh. That's his name. We don't have a God without personality. His name is Yahweh, and, God, and David calls him, I love you, my strength. Look at verse 2, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, in whom I take refuge, my shield, my, 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 my. Possessive personal pronoun, right? Grammar people. It was not just God, it was my God. He's not just deliverer, he's my deliverer. Do you live the kind of Christian life where you're on the battlefield enough that you get into trouble? The enemy knows who you are, and so you need to call out in distress to God and that God will come through to you. God should be personal to you. And you look at verse 1. Go, I know I'm jumping all over, but my strength. You don't, do you think David knew God personally as his strength? Think about it. David, as a boy, spent days at a time taking care of sheep. And there's lions and bears that attack. Now, I heard a story recently. Someone in the Pacific Northwest, like, strangled a cougar to death. Okay, props to him. Okay, cougar attacks. When I first moved out here uh, a long time ago, I heard about a mountain biker that got smoked by a, a mountain lion. I was thinking, there's mountain lions here? Now just imagine a little boy like his size, that good-looking little boy right there, 
and there's a mountain lion eating the sheep, and he knows if I lose sheep, dad's going to be really mad. I got to kill this thing. And the little boy out in the wilderness would spend his days singing songs to his God. And so he sees this animal attacking the sheep, and he says, God, help me kill this bear. Help me kill this lion. And he did. Did he say, did he start patting his chest and say, I'm great? No. He said, my God delivered me. And we see that later on. I think it's in 1 Samuel 17. Don't turn there. When Goliath is challenging the armies of Israel. And David, the young man, says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine to come against the living God? And he goes out there, not in Saul's armor, but by what? The power of the name of God. And he wins. He kills Goliath. How? God. And so David lived a life where he was on the battlefield, physical and spiritual battlefield, where only God could deliver him. Because it's not natural for little boys to kill bears and lions. So my question for you is this. Is God as your deliverer personal to you? When's the last time you told him? I know it might be uncomfortable and intimate. But in the book of James, it says, if you draw close to him, he will draw close to you. And you can see in this passage, David, upon his victory, is not giving himself credit. Because look at verse 4. He talks about how bad it was for him. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. Sheol's not quite hell, but it's hellish. And the snares of death confronted me. In verse 6, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. And look at the next part. From his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry to him reached his ears. My friend Darnell Sherman, he's participated in some of our events at City Bible Church. To know him, he's a poet, he's gentle, he's loving, he's kind. That's one part of his character. He's also physically huge. He's six foot six, about 320, 340. And sometimes he gets this crazy idea, he wants to tackle me. And for him, it's like me tackling a Coke can. It's like there's no resistance. Like if Norm tries to tackle me, he'll be successful, but there'll be a little bit resistance. But for my friend Darnell, it's over. I just hope he doesn't land on me. He thinks it's funny. It's like me like kicking a chihuahua, which I would never do. I have a chihuahua. I'm t- anyway, I won't get into that. No chihuahua. Okay, I'm sorry. They get mad when I call it a little rat dog. But anyway, it's like me wrestling a little rat dog is like Darnell wrestling me. But the th- dad... Uh, the thing is, is that when you have a big friend, you feel defended. And Darnell's job is he helps abuse children. He works for Child Protective Services. And these kids, so many of them suffer unspeakable horrors, and they're wanting a deliverer. Who would you want as your deliverer? I'll tell you what, if I saw Darnell coming into my yard as a child talking and working with my abusive parents, I would feel delivered. See, the reason Darnell is a good deliverer for those children is that he loves them. 
He finds out about their cries. And then he does something about it. Some of us have lost confidence in God. But I want to assure you, Darnell is just a human, but God hears. And he's there inside the struggle. I don't have time to go into my wife's testimony, but long story short, she was, her, her mom was given up into prostitution. Jen's father was a, was a customer in the prostitution industry. Jen gr- grew up in a very terrible, abusive environment. And there were many days and nights where she felt, who's going to save me? Who's going to deliver me? This is my lot in life. And even in her lack of knowledge, she cried out. And you know the rest of the story. God delivered her through a series of events, but it wasn't instantaneous. So for some of you, the idea of God as a deliverer, you feel like he's not with me in the abuse. He's not in me in the trial. Take some heart from verse 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord to my God. I cried for help. In that desperate situation, from his temple, he heard my voice and my cry, and it reached his ears. I just felt the Holy Spirit wanted to speak to some of you and know that he hears you, and he heard you, and he wants to heal you, and he wants to deliver you. So the first, I guess, main idea is that God was David's personal deliverer. You can see from verse 7 to 19, look at this imagery. This is where you get the image of, wow, God is powerful. That this God would move heaven and earth for David's sake. It says, verse 7, the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Do you know God gets angry on your behalf? See, When I gave the uh, Mother's Day message and I was talking about being a father and being protective of wife and daughter, anyone who would mistreat my wife or my daughter, I would be very angry. And I would act upon that. Do you know God gets angry on your behalf? That he cares about you deeply? That he wants to protect you? So much that he quakes? The universe, I mean, this is imagery, but have you ever been in an earthquake? Uh, I had a friend who was in the Northridge quake, and he told me about it. When I was living in Japan, even some of the tremors would just jolt me out of bed. And it was very humbling to feel the power of of that quake. How much more the living God. It's just a, a, a sign of his power. Eight, smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. This is like imagery of like almost a dragon, it seems like. it's. But God, his imagery in the Old Testament often is a consuming fire. There was a pillar of fire the Israelites would follow and then also smoke during the day. When Solomon built his temple, God filled the temple with his glory and with deep, dark smoke. So you get that imagery here. Nine, he bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. Ten, he rode on a cherub and flew, a strong angel, and he came swiftly on the wings of the winds. So when God decides to act, when it's his right timing, and when he acts, he does it like the wings of the wind. 
He made darkness his covering. Moving on, 13. The Lord thundered in the heavens. The Most High uttered his voice. Hillstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows, etc., etc. Then look at 16. He sent from high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me. For they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity. And the Lord was my support. He brought me out to a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. For some of us, we can think to times in our life when we should have physically died. We should have died. There's no explanation. Even Pastor Chris shared that according to the medical doctors, there's no reason why you should still be here. Think and reflect on your life. Some of your decisions you made, some of the bad decisions you made, you put yourself in peril. Or think about spiritual peril. You made such terrible spiritual choices. Maybe you opened yourself up to the dark realm. Yet here you are. God wants to deliver you. He has delivered you. We need to remember that. Some of us, you'll hear atheists talk about, oh, the God of the Old Testament is a monster. Some of us view God of the Old Testament. Oh, he destroyed Noah's world. He destroyed Pharaoh's army. But do you see him that God would move heaven and earth on your behalf? Really? Do you really believe that? I mean, he did it for David. That's like a Bible guy. But he won't do it for me. Well, he did it for my wife, Jen. Well, that's Jen. You know, my wife, Jen. Okay, he delivered her. Many of us have stories of testimony. It doesn't have to be the most dramatic thing in the world. But in this church, we celebrate testimonies of how God delivers us. And we need to remember that. I want to talk um, in this next section... I want to talk about Jesus and how a lot of religions and worldviews like to change Jesus to an image of our own mind. Years and years ago, Elton John said Jesus was gay because Elton John wanted Jesus to be that way. Um, Many religions, like Buddhism, says he's an enlightened one. Hinduism has no problem with Jesus on the, the pantheon of gods. But the question is, there are many false Christs. (laughs) I'm talking about the living God. I'm talking about, in John 1.1, Jesus who created the foundations of the earth. That's the Jesus you want. The others are false Christs. And many people are peddling false Christs in the name of Christianity. But remember, Jesus said, you know, in the end, as he judges the living and the dead, he's gonna, people are going to say, don't you remember me? I did this in your name. I did that in your name. I cast out demons in your name. And Jesus will say, I don't even know who you are. Depart from me. The Pharisees didn't like Jesus. These were the ruling class in the Jewish world under the Roman control. And he's, Jesus is bickering, not bickering, Jesus doesn't bicker. They're bickering with Jesus. And they're, they're trying to explain to Jesus that he's a false teacher. And if you want to look there, it's John 8, or you can just write it down. John eight fifty four. the Pharisees are challenging who is Jesus. 
Because today there's many of you that want to say, oh, Jesus is his own person. If he didn't rise from the dead, he's still important. I want to say to you, no. Jesus claims to be the same God as the Old Testament. 54, John 8, 54. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That word I am is the name of God, Yahweh, the same one that David identified in Psalm 18. And when he said this, the Pharisees all picked up stones to kill him because they said, hey, you being a man claimed to be that God of the Old Testament? In John 5, you don't have to turn there, Jesus said, if you believe Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. Jesus is linking the Old Testament and the New Testament. John 10, 30, uh, 28, if you want to look there. Jesus is explaining who he is. He says, I give eternal life and they'll never perish. No one will snatch my followers out of my hand. My father has given them to me as greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. And when he said that, they picked up stones to kill him. Why? Because Jesus claimed to be the living God, the maker of heaven and earth. Do you understand that the terrifyingly awesome, great, all-powerful, holy God is the same as the merciful and kind God in the face of Jesus? You can't just pick one side. They are one and the same. And if you don't believe me, I would love for the progressive Christians, God bless progressive Christians, to read Revelation 19, starting at verse 11. This is the image that Christ, the one who died on the cross to be your Savior, when he comes back again, he's coming as the judge of the living and the dead. Look at this imagery. And I want you to see the parallels between Revelation 19 and what we've read about God in Psalm 18. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. He's talking about Jesus. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. Huh? You mean sweet, mild Jesus? With blonde hair and blue eyes? When I go to heaven, I'm going to crawl up to him and put my head in his lap, and he's going to stroke my hair? No. That's not who Jesus is. You're going to be on your face before him. Verse 12, his eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on a white horse. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword 
with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. The winepress is talking about the wrath of God and the blood that will be shed on that day will be like a winepress. Sweet Jesus, the living God, you can't divorce his justice, his power with his kindness and his mercy. But this is what I want you to understand. I want you to understand that Jesus, who we love to hear the stories about about the woman at the well, how he forgave the woman caught in adultery. We love the stories of him touching the lepers, which he does. We see his kind heart. But you also have to understand that Jesus is no joke. He's coming back to judge the living and the dead. And so for some of us here, you need to know that that mighty God cares about you, delights in you, loves you, is gentle with your heart. And for some of us who've become irreverent because we've been so religious and been going to church that Jesus is so commonplace, we have lost the fear and the reverence of the holy God. And I don't know which one this is for you, but God wants to align our hearts and to see him rightly. I want to go back, and this is the last part, in verse 19 of Psalm 18. And this is for some of you. I know this in prayer, that this is for some of you. It's actually for all of you. Verse 19, Psalm 18, 19. He brought me into a broad place. He rescued me. Why? Because he delighted in me. My friends, sons and daughters of the living God, do you know that God, the God who had this nostrils flaring with fire in, the, in this powerful God, do you know he looks at you with the tenderness of a parent holding a newborn baby and he delights in you? He delights in you. He loves you. I had the privilege of Hanging out with a little baby. I love babies. If God would give me another baby, I'd be so happy. I love babies. And when you hold a baby and you look at a baby, especially if it's your own, you just have such delight and love and tenderness in your heart. Some of you, for some reason, have forgotten that that's a fraction of how much God thinks about you. How much he loves you. He delights in you. Do you know why God delivered David? Because he delights in David. Do you know that God delights in you? Insert your name, okay? Do you know that God delights in you? This And this God is huge and powerful and mighty. But that's why we sing about him. That's why we say he's a good and gracious king. Colossians 1, talking about Jesus as God. Colossians 1, verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
He is head of the body, the church, and he's the head of City Bible Church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself of all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. My friends, God is terrifyingly awesome, creator, holy, and just. But he's also, he's also merciful and tender and kind. And when he looks at you, he delights in you. No father, no good father would ever look at their child in distress and not be affected. Why do you think you're the exception? I want you to think about what I shared as I pray for you right now. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your word in Psalm 18. Thank you that you remind us that you're our deliverer and you care about us. Help us to be like David and say, I love you, God. I love you. Thank you for delivering me. Lord, as the as this church moves forward through the Disciple Design Lab and through evangelism and through tours and through small groups and through all the great movements we're going to be a part of, as we step out in faith, we don't have to fear the enemy, even though the enemy knows who we are as we step out in faith. Thank you, Lord, that you have all authority and that you're the creator of all. But Lord, for those of us who have not yet opened the door of our hearts to you, for those of us who still carry our sins because we haven't been washed clean by your blood, have mercy on us. Help us to understand that until we submit to you, we are objects of your wrath and we carry our own sins. But thank you that you're merciful and you died on the cross for us. Lord, for those of us who have a wrong image of you, Lord, whether we think you're an austere father or we are too commonplace with you, Lord, for those of us who forget your character, Lord, help us to see you for who you are. Help us to understand that you delight in us. If we have opened the door to darkness, Lord, deliver us. We cry out to you from Sheol and we say, God, Please help me. Please deliver me from this, Lord. If there's any foul spirits that are grabbing hold of my soul, any sin that I can't break free, I only can be set free by you, Jesus. Would you reach your hand down and pull me out? from? I'm drowning, God. Deliver me. Redeem me. And Lord, for some of us, we've forgotten who you are, really. We've forgotten to fear you. We forgot that you're coming back to judge the living and the dead. We confess, Lord, that we haven't revered you as we should. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these people here. Thank you that you're caring and just and holy and good. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's worship.